Northern Rivers Food and Southern Cross University present Business Bites. This podcast series discusses, evaluates and explores all the factors that contribute to making a successful business. I'm Angela Caturns, host of Business Bites, and in each episode we'll bring you wisdom and insights from forward-thinking academics and leading industry experts about what really helps a business stay relevant and thrive. In this episode, we're talking collaboration, diving into a conversation about how you can engage with other businesses or partners to do more or to work more effectively. Whether you're a large business looking for innovation or perhaps to partner with government or you're a small business who wants to align with other like-minded operators, let's take a look at when collaborating can help you reach new heights and what to look out for along the way. Collaboration is a cornerstone of how the Southern Cross University operates. And to talk with us about why and how they do this is Ben Roche. Ben's portfolio at the university is focused on using connections, partnerships and collaborations to support the university's vision. So he has a perfect insight on the topic to share with us. Hello and welcome, Ben. Hello, Angel. Lovely to be here. Thank you. So you are the Vice President of Engagement at the university. Can you tell us a bit about what that entails? and what you have responsibility for? Certainly. So we see engagement really as how we partner in order to create impact. And so in a university context, that really talks to the kinds of methods and strategies that we bring to bear on how we partner and collaborate with people uh, to really make change. So can you give us uh, a few examples, you know, of the sort of partnerships that you've forged? Absolutely. So uh, in a a sort of a hyper-local example, we're working with industries across the region to solve waste challenges. So concepts of circular economy. Uh, We've been partnering across large, our really large industries that have some sort of waste challenge, but at the same time have an opportunity to reuse that waste, so apply circular economy principles, and feed that back into their production process and achieve some sort of efficiency gain, some sort of environmental improvement, and also some sort of productivity gain. Um, That process has been really about how do we build a shared vision and a shared endeavour with with the industry partners, noting that we have our ideas as academics and researchers, but the industry partners themselves have their own business needs that they're trying to solve for. So that process has been a great example of coming together, talking about common challenges and and shared um, opportunities, and then really developing uh, through a collaborative approach a common vision for what we're going to aim for together as a group. And so that's a a really good hyper-local example. Mm -hmm. Probably another example that I'd talk about because it was far more significant in terms of national in scale was the work we did with a program called Farming Together. That was a program that was funded by the Commonwealth Government and it was all about focusing on collaboration as a business strategy. So really focused on small to family farmers across the entire nation and looking at how do they harness collaboration to build their business? Um, And that could be anything from um, small family farmers working together with other folks in their region so that they've got better scale. They've got more power when they're having discussions on setting price. They're um, better able to market themselves because they pull their funds together to market. Um, 
and that program was very successful. It in, ended up engaging around about 26,000 farmers nationwide. Wow. Um, and the ultimate expression of, of that work was really the formation of cooperatives. And so that's the, the only uh, recognised legal model for collaboration. And it has a very specific approach to sharing power amongst the members of that cooperative. But really importantly, it, it is all about how do you generate value back to the very communities in which the organisation is situated, as opposed to shareholders who are often based in capital cities. So that's, a, a, I guess, an example of a very deep form of collaboration um, that is legal in its, its basis, but at the same time is very powerful because we've seen across the country and shouldn't be lost on our listeners that the Northern Rivers is the home of agricultural cooperatives in Australia. Um, some of the co-ops we've got in our region are, are over 100 years old. And so as a business strategy, it builds resilience uh, in the business model, but also at the same time, it forces you to have real clarity on where the value is going to flow ultimately across that entire supply chain. Mm-hmm. So what comes first? Do you identify someone or a group with whom you want to collaborate or do you identify an end result and then find the person or group to collaborate with? Great question. I think it's really about clarity of intent and then clarity of expectation to start with. So that is what I mean by that. So in clarity of intent is really thinking about the why. So why do you need to, to collaborate? What are you trying to solve for? in um, partnering or working with another group of people. And so having that real clarity as a business as to what do we need to do? Are we just wanting to build understanding with some of our suppliers around a new range of products that we may well have? Or are we trying to look at new areas of activity, new products, new solutions, in a context that we might not have as much confidence as we want to have in order to invest? And so that might be an example where you do deeply collaborate and come up with some sort of shared solution to that challenge. So I think, first of all, it's about understanding what are you trying to solve for? And then after that, I think it's really being clear on what do you expect out of the process? Do you expect to arrive at a really clear solution for your business strategy? Or are you just really wanting to walk away with a couple of good ideas and a little bit of inspiration? So somewhere along that that entire spectrum lies a, a really good business intent. And then coming from that, I think it's very important then to think after you have that clarity, to think about the values that you hold as a business and uh, how you want to work and whom do you want to work with others who share those same values. And because the values often will become the principles that guide how you work together. And so it is important at the very early stages of collaboration to just reflect on your values and the ways in which you expect others to work with you along that journey of collaboration. Mm -hmm. And so, Ben, you've been at the university since 2010. You've seen it grow and develop. Um, and I imagine you've grown with it personally and professionally as well. Have you been able to help embed genuine collaboration into the university? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the one of the the greatest sources of pride, I think, Angela, that I have. And that is that we have gone from seeing partnering as something that we do because it makes sense to getting to a stage where at the core of our strategy as a university lays collaboration. And that is for me a deep recognition that we are stronger together, that we have more resilience when we partner and build networks, 
But also importantly, as a university, we are effectively a community of very different folks. We're a community of learners and of students. We're a community of academics and researchers, but we're also a community of over 70,000 alumni, industry partners, and it goes on and on and on. So in many ways, if we're going to realise the potential of those communities, collaboration has to, by very definition, lay at the heart of that. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So, Ben, I understand Southern Cross University aims to be among the top 50 young universities in the world by 2026. That's not too far away. Um, one of the strategies you need to get there is something that you called amplified partnerships. What does that mean? Really, it, it's about taking a strengths-based approach to how we work. And, and what do I mean by that is, is we talk about strengths-based, others will talk about asset-based, but it's really taking a very positive approach to, to really building on the momentum that we already have. So rather than trying to be something we're not, trying to have too much ambition that may actually be a little bit ahead of where we're at in terms of current capacity, current resourcing, current thinking. Amplified Partnership really is about consolidating who we want to work with and importantly, as I said earlier, understanding why. Understanding why they're the right partner for us at this point in time. And also challenging ourselves that if we are going to meet the mission written into our founding act as a university, and that is it's explicit in that it says the principal function of Southern Cross University is to meet the needs of the communities of the north coast of New South Wales. And so if we're going to meet that obligation that we have to government and therefore to the people of New South Wales, we need to think how do we get a level of depth with our partnering so that we can create really meaningful change and impact. And so for us, Amplified Partnership is about working at a level of depth so that we can not only um, build our networks, build our influence, but more importantly, create really significant and lasting change. Mm. Is it important to know who you are? Is it important to, you know, realise how you're different? I mean, you don't really strive to be an Ivy League or one of the Sandstone universities, do you? No, not at all. And we have been, I think, on a journey of confidence and and there are great parallels to any business that is setting off on a journey of differentiation and distinctiveness in the marketplace. And that has very much been Southern Cross's journey. At 27 years old as a university, we're never going to have our walls made out of sandstone and, and nor have we ever had that ambition. Um, we're happy with blonde brick um, and what we're going to do is to really focus on how do we really use our strengths as a dynamic young university really focused on making impact. And so we have absolutely embraced, I think, the need to be confident about that point of difference and to not only have a clarity of of purpose and vision, but really understand whom we need to work with who will bring that vision to life. And so that is looking for others who also want to be Um, disruptors in education, also others who are bold enough to make big and different decisions around how they feel learning and research should be undertaken in the 21st century. So it is very much about the company you want to keep if you're going on this journey of collaboration, because it is done well. It's a journey that has great legacy and sustainability and often takes a lot of time. Mm. So you look at how collaborations and partnerships can fit in with what 
the university is trying to achieve and to become and to help you get there faster or more effectively? Absolutely. But but at the same time too, we might have an ambition as an organisation, which we do in many areas. Uh, one, one greater area is we really want to change the way in which healthcare uh, is provided in communities so that we have less of a reliance on hospitals and greater agency within the family unit to care for the 90% of illnesses and conditions that really don't need to go to hospital. And so we don't know all the answers to that journey. We certainly don't even have all the capacities needed to realise it. So we often use collaboration to help us better understand how to get from A to B. So how to better realise a strategy to achieve a vision. So sometimes it's about what we need. Sometimes it's about knowing the questions that you have of others so that you can grow insight, grow inspiration, and more importantly, grow knowledge so you're better able to get to where you want to go. Mm -hmm. You mentioned farming together earlier. Can you tell us about some of the other collaborations that uh, the university has on the go at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. We've um, we've we've got collaborations coming out of our ears, and it's partly because um, it's the way a, a small university achieves scale and influence, and it's the same parallel for a small business really wanting to compete on a big stage. And so, for example, we're looking at how we support uh, the Northern New South Wales Local Health District to build the future workforce um, required to keep communities healthy. Um, we're doing that um, in partnership with three other universities and TAFE New South Wales in recognition once again that while Southern Cross can make a really significant contribution in terms of that challenge, we can't do it alone. We don't train doctors. So we do need a university that can train doctors. So again, collaboration in that context, which will really be all about driving the education and the training function in the new Tweed Valley Hospital. Very exciting project that will be visible to the public uh, at the start of 2024. But at the same time, we're working in a hyper-local way here in the sense that we've responded to the most amazing challenge in terms of um, the flood catastrophe that our communities have experienced over the course of this year. And that involved a very different kind of collaboration, but it absolutely did involve collaboration, a kind of a collaboration where on this one, we didn't really know what the endpoint looked like, but what we had to do was be very clear about the values that we were going to use to navigate what was a very dynamic and fast-moving situation. And so in that situation, we really needed to make sure we had a razor-sharp level of clarity on our intent. And that is, you know, our, our intent as a university was really to do whatever it took to, to provide safety and security to our community. And it was that basic. And how that manifest on a daily basis it was, it was from the sublime to the ridiculous. But really what we needed to do was have a values-based approach. We needed to make sure that we applied our values of support, of care, of being bold and not being scared to make decisions that, you know, uh, in many normal times we would have been challenged by. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the challenges of trying to find medical and, and health provision and care in those first days and weeks after the catastrophe was incredibly challenging for a university that actually is all about education and research. So sometimes it involves you stepping out of the identity that you think you have and being willing to be changed by the process just as much as you expect change to occur from the process. And I think in many ways for the university, 
we have been changed as a result of our collaboration through the flood, and I think more so for the better. That's fantastic. I mean, you became the centre of the community in a way, didn't you? And um, you say that that's had a lasting impact. Yeah, we did. And it was, wasn't was by design. Uh, it it just happened literally as the helicopters kept dropping off folks on the Oval. Uh, we kept responding to the needs and, and that challenge as it arose. But what it did do is it forced a really deep reflection on who are we and why do we exist? And I think many people had that reflection through the whole journey. And for us as a university, it really solidified for us our number one reason for being is about building community. That is fundamentally what we do as a university. Our methods for doing that are through education and research, but we also have a phenomenal campus and set of assets and infrastructure that we can also bring to bear in highly positive ways to support and to nurture community. And so we did that in, in a myriad of different ways. Um, and at times, you know, it was ridiculous, you know, that we, we had police stations and we still have a police station in our engineering building. Our AMBOs are operating out of our facilities building. We have, we have the recovery centre operating out of our science and technology precinct. Um, we've got almost 2,000 school kids coming to campus every day, including my own children, which is a wonderful change, but it's been one of deep challenge. And I think it's one that has forced us all through a level of collaboration to adjust our own positions and experience compromise, but the positivity around compromise. Mm. And so, Ben, our, our podcast listeners are business owners and operators. What are the insights or parallels you think they can draw from the university and your amplified partnership approach? Uh, what can they take from that to apply to their own businesses? I'd probably say there's three key considerations that, that any organisation should apply when it comes to collaboration. The first is uh, really thinking about the why, and that is what's the clarity of purpose? What, what is your intent or the expectation that you want to derive from that collaboration? And that will help you to really define the way in which you want people to participate with you on that journey. And that can be anywhere from uh, informing folks about a, a new great product or strategy that you've developed that you think is going to revolutionise their world, through to working really deeply with a group of people to generate some sort of shared vision, shared, shared solution or new product. And so that's really what we'd call the spectrum of public participation from informing folks through to collaborating folks. Informing involves a very passive level of sharing, whereas collaboration really fundamentally involves the sharing of power and, and the receptiveness to the fact that you will change as a result of your collaboration. Second, I'd say, is being really clear on the clarity of fit, and that is the whole values piece. Um, is this an organisation or a bunch of people you really want to work with on a deep basis? You want to share your lounge rooms with, your businesses with, the coffee shops with? Um, are you going to be able to rumble with them in a really positive and constructive and respectful way? These are all issues of values, and so you need to be really clear on the values that you will bring to the process but also the standards that you'll expect as a result of that collaboration. And probably the final um, little tidbit, I think, is start where you're at. Don't start with an idea or an aspiration of where you want to be, but start in the reality of your current situation and circumstance and reflect on that situation in terms of what strengths and what assets can you bring 
to the collaboration? How can you build on momentum, on investment that you've already made into a particular business or your organization, or it might be a particular product or strategy? How do you build on, on that um, on that investment, on those assets and those strengths. Because we know more likely folks will be successful when they build on existing momentum and strengths as opposed to trying to correct a gap or a deficiency or even worse, just trying to stretch into uh, something where they're not really attending to their current capacity and bandwidth on the ground. Mm. And is it important for you and your collaborators to agree on the definition of success? Absolutely, very much so. We need to know where we want to land. And at the same time, having that clarity of what the endpoint looks like also allows collaborators to, to wrap up a collaboration, if that makes any sense. Because it's just as important to know when to exit a collaboration when it is to know when to start a collaboration. So you might have processes whereby a, a great example is the university uh, undertook a really significant innovation project in the refurb of a 1973 combi. And, and we flipped that into um, the first high range full EV combi uh, in Australia. But we did that not only because we are obsessed with combis, um, but because we really loved the challenge of getting our engineers, our industry, our students, um, our educators together to not only flip the combi, but to generate a whole bunch of education materials so that we could then set that passion that we have for combis and energy efficiency in schools and young people all over the country. So that was a great example where some folks came in at the start of the collaboration, they did their bit, they stepped off and they were done. Others went through a far longer journey. But it is always really important to know what success looks like for each collaborator so that you can say, hey, we're done. You've got what you needed to do. So did I. Fantastic. No need to keep talking if we don't need to. Fabulous. Ben, so great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Angela. Our next guest is Rebecca Zenfeld, coffee roast mistress and creative director at Zenfeld's Coffee in Newry Bar. She's a coffee nerd, a chook lover, a foodie fan and passionate environmentalist. She talks and walks collaboration every day. Hello, Rebecca. Welcome. Thank you, Angela. So we all associate the Northern Rivers with, you know, a rich history of agriculture, in particular with dairying. Coffee, not so much. But it's being grown here for quite a while, hasn't mm -hmm. it? Since the 1800s, is that right? Yes, it was a successful little industry that started back in the 1880s and went right through to about the 1920s. And it's really because we've got this gorgeous volcanic soil, these rich rolling hills from Mount Warning and arounds. Um, but it was really the invention of instant coffee and really the cost of labour compared to producing coffee overseas that, alas, led to the downfall around the 1920s. Is that right? Mm. So t tell us a bit. So John is your partner. Yes. And his father pioneered commercial coffee growing in this area. Yes. The Zenfield Seniors, we'll give a plug to June as well. So John and June Zenfield Senior, they started in 1987. And really what they did was go to the Department of Agriculture and say, well, this is my words. They really went to the Department of Agri Agriculture and said, what else is there besides <laughs> macadamias? What else should we be growing? And sugarcane and bananas. Yes, there were some options. But it turned out that the local Department of Agriculture at Wallingbar were doing trials and had done five years of research on coffee, 
on choosing the varietals that may work well in our region. And they ticked all the boxes that we could grow beautiful quality coffee, as was proven back 100 years ago. In fact, coffee from the region was winning awards in Paris and London at international coffee competitions 100 years ago. True. So we knew that good soil and microclimate would produce beautiful coffee. We Mm -hmm. just had to reinvigorate that industry. And that's where my father-in-law particularly was good at using collaborations to make that industry become viable again. There have been a few challenges along the way, though, haven't there? Of course, yes. Goodness me. Um, I mean, really, they were starting the industry, being the first farm to take those five varietals that they'd worked on at Wallingbar and and bravely put them in the ground and see how they'll produce as a working farm. Because it's one thing to have a research block and trial with scientists and agronomists looking after everything. The next thing is putting in the ground and seeing how it works. Do we need a harvester? Yes. Uh, Do we need processing equipment? Where will it come from? Brazil and Colombia. So there's, you know, many trials to work out how to go from growing something to growing an industry. Mm -hmm. And that's what my father was good at. Mm -hmm. My father-in-law, I should say. And did others follow him or did he collaborate along the way? Yeah. Yeah, We very quickly encouraged others, uh, heard about the coffee growing well in this area. So five growers got together with John and they bought the first harvester coming out of North Queensland. So an Australian-made harvester. So John helped make that happen. And then they really got together and and started the coffee growing industry with a local coffee growers group that, um, again, I believe John led. So I've sort of followed in their footsteps of really working with others once I started my business back in 1993. Mm-hmm. And so tell us a little bit about the collaboration with the Department of Agriculture. So the idea was to get the best quality and the best end product. Um, and so tell us a little bit about that, what that involved. Yeah, so they'd done the work on the varietals and they knew that they would grow well and be disease-free and should taste good once we get to that cupping stage. And then they worked through those quality Uh, parameters first and then it was really working with the Department of Ag to come and bring those varietals back to the ground and make it work in the in the farm world and that's what uh, John really initiated but all under the guidance with the local Department of Agriculture. Mm -hmm. And so then you and John took it over in 1993 as you said and continued the collaborative approach. Um, Can you tell us about some of the collaborations that you've been part of along the way? So apart from the local growers which We'll touch on, I'm sure, again, because I love, love having people come to visit our farm and see how we grow coffee. Not just roast coffee, but it's really about the the farming side, I feel, is very collaborative, um, where we exchange ideas with other growers. I just love doing that and we learn from them and they will gain new ideas to take back to their farms. It's not competitive, you're not, you know. I don't feel that with growing. We want to really grow the Australian coffee industry and see more growers put coffee in the ground because we're able to grow coffee in this subtropical zone particularly of the northern rivers, southeast Queensland, really really well, really naturally. You know, we don't have pests and diseases. So we don't have any nasty sprays we have to put on at all. And over the years we've learnt to grow our coffee much more organically with biological principles in mind. So we don't even use chemical-based fertilisers for at least seven years now. Mm-hmm. And we want to share those ideas with others. Mm-hmm. So is it um, a formal sort of collaboration that you have or are they informal relationships? Well, the more formal one is um, in particular gaining more research through with Southern Cross University. So what we've found, I just love, I think I have a radar for research programs that are coming out that might be suitable to coffee growing. So it's not the money I'm interested in. We don't personally get the money at all. But what I want to see is if it's government money into research that goes into 
doing better by the land and the use of the land and growing productive and sustainable crops, then I'm interested. So the Southern Cross School of Organics and Regenerative Agriculture Alliance is particularly who we have worked with in the last two years um, on a cover crop research program. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit more about that. How does that work? What is the cover crop? Yeah, well, cover crops have... I just love them. I just think they're really interesting. They're challenging. They don't always work. You know, you might have nature get in the way and, and, you know, give us rain for six months and doesn't stop. So that's a challenge to work with. But the idea of, of the color, this cover crop research program is for horticulture in subtropical Australia. So under our conditions locally. Mm -hmm. So we're very willing to put our hand up as a farm to say, yep, let's work out what seed stock works for summer, autumn growth, what works for winter, spring growth, and see if we can't help, and I'm sure we are, increase the biology in the soil, enhance the microbial life, um, bring in plants that draw up the nutrients from deep down in the soil and that bring those nutrients back to, the, in our case, coffee trees on either side. But it could be macadamias, could be avocados, bananas, all the different local horticultural crops will benefit as this research proves what nutrient value those cover crops bring. Mm -hmm. And there are some other um, partnerships as well that you've entered into, Rebecca. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? For instance, Steve McGinnity from the Australian Native Bee Company. Bees. We love bees. Well, I love honeybees and native bees are our newest friends we've invited to encourage more of on our farm. So Steve came to our veranda once at our coffee house on the farm and I was telling him that I knew that he had native bees and he I was telling him about our farm and we don't use any pests and his eyes just widened and said, so you don't use any pesticides or herbicides at all? No, no, it's quite free. He said, oh my goodness, you're perfect for native bees. So he brought in 30 native bee homes, put them down along the creek line where we've done the rainforest region 20 years ago, so now they're full-sized rainforest trees, and popped up his little boxes along that edge. And for me, it's a collaboration. I didn't have to buy them. He owns them. He will look after, and we're, we're encouraging those bees to have a happy life. But he'll benefit too by also being able to take the, the sugar sap, the beautiful, beautiful honey, so rare and such a tiny amount they produce, he'll take that away because he's got a pre-existing collaboration with a gin distiller so they can use that as a, um, a beautiful ingredient in their gin and we get the benefit of having the native bees pollinate our coffee trees. They'll go across the creek line through the rainforest and head up into the macadamia farm opposite. So that's a beautiful benefit for our nearest neighbours as well. That's lovely. And so, Rebecca, what about the um, collaboration in which you're trialling plastic-free coffee cups. Mm. Yes, we've done that for a year and a half. So it was really quite uh, a new thing when we started was with the One Australian Coffee um, MPM Marketing that are an Australian-owned, Australian family, and we've worked with them for years choosing their recyclable cups. Well, now they've finally come out with a, to be the first, really, proper compostable cup. Now, as a chief composter in the family, in the business, we try the coffee cups, pour the coffee in. Afterwards, when people have done with them, I take them out, put them in buckets of water. About a week later, they're soft enough to go straight into the compost. Check again in a couple of weeks and there's all the little worms eating them, eating them up just like they would a, you know, a wet egg carton. It works just as, just as well. Mm -hmm. And there's uh, all edible inks and so forth. So it's properly compostable. We don't need one of those big biodegrading facilities. That just don't exist in Australia. So it's, I think... If you must have a, a coffee in a cup, that's a takeaway scenario. Take it home and encourage you to compost it yourself. And so, the, I mean, that's a great example of a collaboration uh, with a sort of end point in mind, which you achieved, right? Yes. We're willing – I think we're quite brave in just wanting to give things a go. If we think it's a good idea, 
John and I will trial something. So I'm not, afra- I'm not afraid to make a mistake. And maybe that's something in making collaborations we've got to consider is I'm, I, I don't have a closed-door policy. I'm a very open, open-arms person, so I really will welcome new ideas if we think they will work. I think you do have to be a positive thinker as a farmer. You know, we have to rise up to these challenges that nature throws us for a start. Um, so that I, I do feel, yeah, we're, we're open to that new suggestions and, and new ideas coming forth. Mm-hmm. We get excited by the new ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us a bit about your um, collaboration with the Australian Subtropical Coffee Association and, of course, Northern Rivers Food. Indeed. Yes, both the big, well, not big, the, the two organisations that I like to be active in. Um, the ASCA, the Australian Subtropical Coffee Association, very soon will have a new name which will much more represent all Australian growers, which I'm really excited by. But we'll, we'll put a vote to it before we share those details. Um, but I've been president for four years you know, and we'll carry on because I just really like encouraging other growers to come on board. If you're new, I want to help make sure that we're sharing that information of and our experience of how we do things. And they may not be right. What are the pitfalls? What are the challenges and mistakes we've made so that new growers can be more successful and join us? So I, I just really do like being with other people and sharing ideas and um, learning from others. You know, we don't know what the answer is, so we will absolutely gain new knowledge by sharing with others. Mm-hmm. And that goes, of course, across through the Northern Rivers Food wider group because then you've got a wider range of producers and restaurateurs and industry types. So um, it really just opens more doors for ideas that you may not have considered as a grower roaster. Mm -hmm. And so is that why you um, support others and hopefully they support you in return, Um, you know, because of what you want to achieve for your own business? Oh, look, some of the fun things that have come out of it, um, you know, like Winding Road Distillers wanted to do a gin distillery with coffee and make sure that it was local. So they took my coffee from our farm and they're within, I think they're within, 20 Ks for me. So they called it 50 mile, you know, coffee liqueur. So they could choose that as a local. And that's, you know, that makes me proud as punch that my coffee is considered delicious enough to be in their beautiful gin. Um, But another one that I love, which was an opportunity that arose at a Northern Rivers Food Sustainability Workshop. And the the first question that was asked of the group was, what what waste do you have? It was on uh, waste and sustainability. So what waste problems do you have? And one of the companies popped up and said, well, we've got hemp seed husk that is a byproduct of producing our beautiful hemp seed oil. So I just shot my hand in the air and said, I'll have that. What what is waste to you? (laughs) (laughs) It's compost for me. Compost for me, exactly. That sounds like an organic import. We were welcome to our farm. Mm, fantastic. But so is your is do you have a um you know a, a sort of drive to leave a legacy, Rebecca? Oh, I don't know if it's a legacy. I I hope I'm humble enough to think we just want to do as best as we can by our land, but what I yeah, where I've really found a passion for is loving the well, the whole landscape that we're in. We're very blessed. It's a beautiful farm that we're on. But now we're really looking after the soil. So I feel really good that we are leaving the soil and the waterways in a cleaner, healthier way than where they were 20 or 30 years ago. And so I can feel proud that I could die suddenly and know that there's uh, more worms in the ground and the soil is covered and it's, and it's going <laughs> to do well if we just had to walk off tomorrow. It's in a good state. I know. That's wonderful. Uh, let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> and so, Rebecca, I'm sure you've learned a few lessons along the way, have you? Have there been any collaborations that perhaps haven't worked out so happily? 
Yes, to be honest. Um, I was thinking about is there any challenges that we have walked from? And yes, so I think you have to be... Um, you have to be a bit. You have to be a bit wise about selecting who you might do collaborations with. Mm-hmm. And and on what basis do you make that choice? Um, are are you on the same wavelength? Is is the outcome that that you're that maybe the other person seeking something you want to seek as well, or are you being drawn into their orbit, and it's not coming from the heart for you? So perhaps that's a bit too gut felt, but I do feel you've got to want to produce. If if we're talking a production of something, you've really got to have your heart behind it, and then and then put the the rationale to make sure it will work. And there was one collaboration where I I just wasn't on board with um, the outcome that the other company wanted to do. So uh, we could have done it, and it would have suited them well, but it wasn't something for me. So mm. I think you know we're also very time poor. You know we really keep taking on interesting things, and and then all the normal day to day business and life. So if you're going to collaborate with another company, um, you've really got to want to do that so that you'll get that extra time. Mm. And uh, I'm guessing that you need to have shared values as well, that you're going into it both for the same reasons. Yes, that's absolutely right. Shared values. And sometimes it's an investment in technical things that you don't know at the beginning you have to do that then that might be a tipping point where you've found you've over-invested in this other collaboration and it's taking your eye off the ball of your main game of, of your business in life. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you, Rebecca. You're welcome, Angela. Oh, can I mention something I would like to have as a collaboration? Yes, let me ask you the question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is there a collaboration that you would uh, like to forge? Hmm. Well... For the past few years, we would be trying to have a collaboration with an animal producer. They would like to bring their animals to our farm, fence them somehow, so they can poo and wee and add that beautiful manure to our soil. So we're thinking ducks, uh, maybe some other breed of very small goats, but I've been told that they just go too high. I've been told lambs reach up too high and eat our coffee trees. So we really trying to have a collaboration with an animal producer that would like to come and fence their animals in, but keep moving them along so they can just poo and add that gorgeous organic matter to our soil amongst our coffee trees. What about pigs? I saw yeah, that. yeah, wee little pigs. Yeah, wee That's little right. pigs. Yes. I saw that. I don't know if you saw that show. So it could be someone else's business, but based on coming to our property and sharing with us mm. on our land. Interesting. Rebecca yes. Zenfeld, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate that, Angela. Now we're joined by one of Australia's most renowned chefs. Having stepped away from a celebrated restaurant career, you'll still find her singing the praises of farmers and artisan producers, mentoring and partnering with chefs and industry colleagues, and travelling the country and the world, and even being a national judge for the annual Delicious Produce Awards. It's my pleasure to welcome Christine Manfield. Hello, Chris. Hi, Angela. Very lovely to have you here. So some of our listeners may not know that you are now a Northern Rivers resident. What drew you to this part of the world? Um, well, it was very serendipitous because we dis- we'd bought a house up here on the coast at um, Casarina Beach in 2019 and decided to move in early 2020. So as, it, as the world was imploding, we did the quick exit out of the city up here and um, it was a real mix. It was sort of, we knew quite a few um, friends, had quite a few friends that had migrated north, so we knew the area. Um, I was quite connected to the food tribe um, up here and also knew of and had met quite a few of the um, artisan producers and farmers through Produce Awards and through supplying restaurants and and my pop-up events. So I sort of felt like, it was sort of like, felt like a bit like a home patch. Plus, 
we're at the beach. To be able to live on the beach is just, you know, the best. And so your professional career has been traversing the globe um, with many incarnations. It seems like collaboration has been a fundamental part of everything you've been doing. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think it's really important. And the, and the, the great thing about the hospitality industry is it's really built on, on collaboration. We all, you know, work together, um, some more so than others. And I, there's nothing I like more, especially since finishing my life as a restaurateur nine years ago, to be able to hang out with um, some of the young, young really sort of um, genius younger chefs and, um, you know, work in with them and their kitchen teams and, um, and do something together. So it's sort of, you know, it's not me taking over, but it's sort of, it's, you know, how we can collaborate and put ideas together and create a, um, a different experience. Mm. So it's really based on connection and community. Does it get competitive? Not really. No, no, no. You've you just got to br brush the egos out of the way. And I don't sort of work with um, people that um, would take that as their, as their measure. <laughs> Fair enough. What about um, what about working within the food industry? Tell us a little about the Delicious Produce Awards. Um, well, I've been a, a, a national judge for the for the awards for the last um, 11, 12 years, something like that. And it's until COVID, it was always a brilliant experience because it brought together some of the you know, other chefs and, and colleagues around the country to, to sit together and, and brainstorm for a couple of days and taste some of the, the best um, produce that this, this country is, um, is, is delivering, you know, mm -hmm. um, from the earth or from the sea or dairy, whatever. So, yeah, so um, not sure what the direction is in the future, um, but, you know, in the past it's been, it's been a, a, a really fantastic experience. Mm -hmm. You've also done and continue to do a lot of charity work, Chris, uh, and chosen to lend your support to a range of charities and causes. Is that important to you? Absolutely. I think, you know, a part of life really is about giving back, you know, because we're in a very fortunate position. Um, and my focus is always around um, education, having a teaching background before I jumped into um, into cooking. Um so working with um, whether it's, you know, young adults, particularly women, my focus is very much on, you know, um, giving women a, <clears throat> an equal voice on, on, on in our hospitality platform and also more broadly in the media um, and with kids, disadvantaged. You know, when I was a teacher, I worked in on the disadvantaged schools program. Um, so, you know, that's always been um, a, an issue very close to my heart and um, just just... Just, you know, flying the banner for equality across the board. And so, Chris, as a businesswoman, what is it that makes you open to collaboration? What is it about working with others, whether it's individual chefs or other businesses that that draws you in? A load, is, a load that's shared is so much easier. <laughs> yes. I used to work with uh, a, a woman in radio, Wendy Harmer, and we used to say that working together was half the work and twice the fun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because you've got to have, you know, it's so important. You can't work in isolation um, as, or as a solo thing. You've got to have other minds there to bounce your ideas off and, and to experiment with. And um, as you said, it's just so much more fun. So um, it's always 
been a natural, sort of for me, a very natural part of my, my working life. You know, even having a restaurant, bringing other chefs in to do a sort of a, a little pop-up guest night or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and it gives the team um, that opportunity to, to engage and just see a different way of doing things. And it's just like when I step into other kitchens, the same thing, they get to, um, you know, shed a different light, I guess, on, on um, what's possible. Mm. And do you find that, that it's a sort of a, a, a boon for you, that it makes you a little more creative, that you're pushed a little bit further? Yeah, absolutely. And flexible and patient uh, <laughs> and challenging, you know. And I think, you know, th- and that's one of the things with collaborating, um, whatever you do, it's um, it does throw the challenge out there and it's about... It's about establishing, for me, it's always been about establishing ben- benchmarks of excellence. So that's, that's what I want to take into any, any job or gig that I do is to, um, is to not offer just a goddamn everyday mediocre experience. It's just, you know, raising next the bar, level, taking it next level mm. and, getting, and taking people along with you on that sort of, you know, journey. I hate that word, but, um, you know... <laughs> Yeah, on yeah. that experience. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. I get that. Um, how do you choose who you collaborate with? Like-minded people. It's really easy. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in a position where I can really cherry pick um, what I want to do. And I, my focus is very much on small, independent, um, <clears throat> um, privately owned businesses, not not big, corp, you know, sort of the big corporates. Um I have done in the past where I've, you know, in the old days, in the 90s, um, it used to be called guest chef in residence. Now, these days it's just pop up, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much more sort of hip and much more fun and it's much more flexible um, and it can and it can a- apply to so many different forms, how you take it, you know, whether it's a roll-up you know, roll garage door or stepping into an existing space or creating something different just for a short amount of time that's just a one-off experience. And that's what draws me to it um, is, you know, here I am for a minute, bang, catch it or you're gone, you know, or it's gone. <laughs> um, and then you move on to the next thing. And I think, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of the reason it's sort of, you know, and everyone does – pop-ups in some form or another now, the reason I think it works so well or fits in with um, where we are is um, our digital age has taught us to be very transient and to grab the here and the now. The media for for a long time have wanted to always talk about the newest and latest thing. And so what better way to capture that than to go, here's something new, bang, grab it or it's, pardon me, or it's gone. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's not, there's never been a real, it's starting to come back now with the, with the post COVID thing. There's never been a real, um, support of longevity, particularly in hospitality business with, with the media, Mm. you know, they're always onto the next big thing yeah, and forgetting about anything that's even only six months old, you know. What about dud collaborations? Have there been any that haven't turned out the way you had hoped? Not really. You know, I do, we, I do my homework very well. Um, and there's, I guess, most of the work is in the, in the lead up to the, the preamble and getting that sorted. So you find out fairly quickly, mm-hmm. um, you know, if there's going to be any sort of hitches or, you know. And you sort of have a, you know, an eight or six sense about, you know, 
if it feels right. And if, you, if you've chosen the right partner in the first place, then pretty much, you know, half your work's done. Mm. Can you give us an example of something that may have gone awry? Um, not really. I would say, you know, I've done a couple of jobs where I've been headhunted to, to lead like a sort of private event that's where you're supported by a catering company um, that may not deliver to the standards that I expect or demand. So that can, that's been a bit disappointing. But look, you learn from all those sorts of things. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's why I do so much work in the lead up and, and you know, the, having the conversations and, and writing, you know, obsessive um, detailed notes for prep lists and recipes and engaging with the team so they're sort of quite clear ahead of time what, what's going to be involved. Because it's sort of like... I, I see putting on a dinner event or any sort of event like that, sort of like a musical production or a theatre production. You've got to, you know, all the work is in the rehearsal mm-hmm. and, you know, when the time comes, the curtain goes up and you're performing. Without a hitch, one <laughs> hopes. And so uh, what collaborations have you been exploring since you've been living in the Northern Rivers area? Anything exciting yeah. on the horizon? Look, as soon as I got up here, I jumped straight in to um, meeting as many um, people in the industry across the board, whether they be farmers, um, small-scale producers, uh, cheesemakers, um, going to the markets, um, <clears throat> chefs, um, and and also connecting with country. And that became – being outside of the city, may, I think, made that transition or that realisation so much – more palpable. And so one of the first people I met up here was um, was a minionable woman, um, Arabella Douglas, who is this, you know, cultural strategist for her family clan, which is called Curry Country. And straight away we hit it off. And um, <clears throat> and so I do some collaborations with her. And when I, when I host small group um, foodie experiences up here, our first day is um, cultural immersion, doing a little cruise up the Tweed and with... with um, with her and listening to stories and making that sort of connection and eating the food of the immediate area and, you know, just weaving it into your everyday sort of practice. Mm. So that's probably a very different approach that you would have taken um, had you remained in the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of, um, I'd say the person that probably makes that connection best in Sydney, for example, is Kylie, Kylie Kwong. Um Working with the um, with the mob um, based out of Redfern and the you know in the South Everly um, precinct, um, <clears throat> pardon me, and uh, with the Yerringbun um, guys and you know and and just you know she's introduced that through her her Chinese food over the last sort of ten years, mm-hmm. and and also being up here realizing that um, there is a very strong Asian Indigenous connection. Um, through trade for many hundreds of years, before, way before Whitefella came, and um, and how that has influenced and played out. Um, so that's been a big sort of learning journey. And Arabella and I both actually worked together, collaborated together, and took took that idea um, to Melbourne for the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival this year, earlier this year, and um, 
and did a dinner called Greenstone and Gold and she she did the narrative and talking about the trading routes between Nam between Melbourne people and the Tweed um, with the Bunjalung Nation mm-hmm. um, and and what was traded along those routes and and there's really strong Asian connection and so I my job was to to tell the story through food so I did the food bit she did the the talky bit and um, yeah and it was you know it was it was fantastic. So that's sort of that's the sort of starting point that I like to create in anything I do. So, you know, if I go taking people on on um, <clears throat> pardon me, other regional experiences in Australia, it starts with being on country and mm-hmm. connecting with those people. So um, you know, whether it's South Australia or up in um, Northern Territory where I you know, where I um, host um, things out on Arnhem Land and, and um, Kakadu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Chris, a s- couple of other collaborations I understand are, are sort of uh, foot for you, for instance, with Tropical Fruit World. Is that well, one? I have in the past, I um, last year and the and 2020, um, I, I put my hand up to do one of the events for the Tweed Artisan Food Weekend. Um, so the first year I, um, <coughs> pardon me, um, did a lunch. We did a big, long Sunday lunch, you know, at really showcasing the producers of the area at Farm & Co, which is up in Clidgen. And then the next year, 21, um, did a picnic. So I, I teamed up with um, Tanya from Blue Ginger Picnics and we did a, we collaborated together on a picnic experience at Tropical Fruit World. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- they were sort of like the venues that where we were able to host rather than being a direct collaboration with them. Mm-hmm. It was like can I use your space? This is what I want to do sort of thing. So, um, yeah, and there's there's potential of sort of, you know, talking with a couple of other um, people up here about doing doing something either later this year or early next year. So mm-hmm. watch this space. Okay, we will. <laughs> Chris Manfield, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Angela. This episode of Business Bites has explored the opportunities and challenges that collaborations can present. Helping us contemplate those opportunities and challenges was Ben Roche from Southern Cross University, Rebecca Zentfeld from Zentfeld's Coffee, and Christine Manfield, one of Australia's most renowned chefs. Who knows what fabulous ideas might have been sparked as a result of listening to them and what we might see in the future. The Business Bites podcast series is a collaboration between Southern Cross University and Northern Rivers Food. Southern Cross now offers the new Bachelor of Business and Enterprise at its Lismore campus and for the March 2023 intake, the university is offering a scholarship worth $5,000 to every student who enrols. This new degree can help the brightest commercial minds to stay in our region. Perhaps that's you, someone in your business or someone you know. Find out more at scu.edu.au. Northern Rivers Food is the region's not-for-profit, member-based food organisation. Established by people from the paddock to the plate, Northern Rivers Food supports and connects people in the industry, developing skills and opportunities, and celebrates the unique food of our region at every turn. To get involved, visit northernriversfood.org. Business Bites is proudly funded by the New South Wales Government and I hope you'll join us for the next episode. I'm Angela Caterns. Thanks for listening. <laughs>